a weekend, as you heard, with mayors of Maui and uh, Honolulu calling for a shelter-in-place uh, order starting this afternoon here on Oahu. HPR's Bill Dorman uh, joins us live this morning. Wow. Yeah, Catherine, <laughs> a lot of developments. And, and again, this story continues to move and, and move quickly. As uh, Derek was just saying on the uh, on the, the news, on the update there, that, that Saturday was Governor Ige's emergency proclamation. Two-week quarantine, all visitors coming to Hawaii, all residents returning starting on Thursday. Now, the reason that's been given in terms of why that didn't take effect immediately was, one, to give tourists a chance to cancel their plans, give a little bit of... Uh, of, of space to the system, really, in terms of potential congestion at the airport, all of that. Then yesterday, Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell ordered residents to stay at home if they're not essential workers. That order takes place at 4.30 this afternoon, as Derek said. Um, also, Maui Mayor Michael Victorinos announcing a similar order going into effect on Maui on Wednesday. And again, it is relative. This is a stay at home. I got a call from a listener this morning, though, who was a little upset with this and said, oh, if I, if I go out and I'm walking on the sidewalk, you know, are police going to come and, and bother me? No, not at all. And in fact, during the news conference, Mayor Caldwell said, you know, if you exercising is fine, going out, walking around, do what I do, which is not walk in the parks, walk in the sidewalks around the parks. But again, use the phrase shelter in place. And sometimes people think of terrorist incidents, think of, of shootings, of something like that, which is just, oh my God, where I am right now is I'm going to hunker down and just stay here. That's not what this order is, um, either here on Oahu or on Maui, and just so, so people know that more broadly. Again, as you're talking about different counties, different reactions, uh, Kauai Mayor Derek Kawakami has put a curfew in place. But within all of this, there is a question, and you alluded to it at the top of the program, about Hawaii County. And HBR's Kuvei Hiraishi has done some further exploring on that question. Counties across the state have taken different approaches to encourage social distancing in their communities. On Kauai, residents are under a county-mandated curfew. Honolulu has banned dine-in services at restaurants. And Maui only wants people to get on the roads if they need to for essential purposes like grocery shopping. But on the Big Island, no such government order is in place to restrict movement or activities. That has many in Hawaii County, including the island's legislators and county council members, calling for more aggressive action by Mayor Harry Kim. In an interview with KWXX's Chris Leonard, Mayor Kim explained that just because there's no county order to stay home doesn't mean people should not stay home. I just talked to a person, very scared, why don't you do this? And the question to her was, you know, why don't you just stay home? Uh, but that won't stop others, it won't. But you can and protect yourself that way because it says here to limit your activities, limit your going out, you know, limit your contact. You don't need the government to tell you six feet. Kim is referring to federal guidelines provided by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to stay at least six feet away from others to help slow the spread of COVID-19. Mayor Kim has also asked all county workers to report to work as normal this week, saying a total shutdown of county services would be impossible and detrimental to the health and welfare of the people of the Big Island. For Hawaii Public Radio, I'm Kuvehi Hiraishi. And our thanks again to KWXX and Chris Leonard for that uh, that interview with uh, Mayor Kim. You know, one of the interesting developments to me late yesterday came after those announcements from Mayor Caldwell and Mayor Victorino, and it was the reaction of Governor Ige. Uh, he put it out on paper. It was a statement. He said he supported the moves and also added in the statement that, uh, quote, we also agreed that statewide action will be needed adding, I have directed the Attorney General to review the orders other states have issued and prepare a statewide plan that will keep the people of Hawaii safe and healthy. So that statement would lead you to believe that there is more that's going to be coming on a statewide basis. Not really sure the time frame right now, but certainly that is one of the next, you know, shoes to drop, one of the next elements to, to look for. Yeah, I mean, uh, as you kind of stop and look back over what's happened in 
you know, let's say in the last month, you can kind of see the signs, you know, okay, prepare for this. They don't want to fire the trigger off right. on certain orders, but you could sort of see how things were leading up, uh, you know, to this um, uh, decision that was made by the two mayors yesterday. You know, it's interesting also. One thing that I've been watching is across the Asia Pacific in terms of where you've, you've seen some of this develop earlier and some of these things move a bit faster. It's not exactly our future. But you've seen how different governments have dealt with different aspects of this, whether that's Singapore, South Korea, uh, China, of course, a bit in a, in, a, in a special category because they can just sort of order that things be sealed and, and that will be it. Um, Hong Kong, actually, an interesting development today, uh, announcing that it is closing its borders to all residents uh, starting at midnight on Tuesday, to, to all non-residents, rather. Uh, so for the next two weeks, they're not going to allow any non-residents into Hong Kong or to travel through Hong Kong. Now, for those in our audience, I know there are many who travel to Asia, have traveled to Asia, through Asia. To knock out Hong Kong as a transit point within Asia is pretty darn dramatic. Uh, for a couple of weeks. But the concern there, you've seen a similar concern in, in Singapore, in, in Southeast Asia, uh, is um, the, the cases of travelers coming, people coming from outside the area, possibly importing the virus. Because both of these locations have been, I don't want to say been through phase one, they have been through a phase of this. Um, but the reinfections, people coming back, uh, and people coming into this from the outside are a concern. Again, with all of this, uh, health authorities around the world are learning as we go. The applications that you're seeing here in the state and county by county are definitely building on lessons that we learned uh, and are continuing to learn, but it's a moving target. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, this is just a, a very stressful time to be traveling, whether you're you know, off somewhere trying to get back home before they shut down these borders, and then you see the the number of flights getting canceled, and and it's just a not a good situation. You're you know just in the airport with masses of people, and uh, the uncertainty is just very stressful time to be out there. It is. It's and again, it is a reminder. Just even if you're not in the airport, the uh, the importance of aloha and uh, extending that and, and of kindness and of consideration. Uh, it's a very important time right now for that within our community, whether you're at the airport or anywhere else. Right. But, uh, yeah, tough time to be traveling. You talk about uh, folks that uh, are, are uh, coming in to countries, but then you have returning residents who could be who could have caught something on their travels and bringing in, like we we have seen, you know, recently. So, yeah, certainly something to be very mindful for, uh, mindful of as uh, as it gets uh, uh, more dicey. <laughs> no, exactly. Step by step and aloha all the way. All right. Thanks so much, Bill. That was HPR's News Director, Bill Dorman, giving us a roundup of the weekend's developments. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Par Hawaii, an energy company extending aloha and mahalo to their employees and to all the people who are working to keep Hawaii's communities healthy. ParHawaii.com What can you do if your elderly loved one needs assistance at home? Maybe not all day, but with medications or meals or showering. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Join me today on The Body Show. We'll talk with Ho'okele Health Navigators about ways that home care can help to provide for our kapuna, especially those who are staying at home to avoid exposure to coronavirus. That's today at 6.30 on The Body Show. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Tony Lim CPA, located in downtown Honolulu, specializing in trust and estate taxation, fiduciary accounting, and fiduciary administration services. Learn more at tlimcpa.com. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Across the country, a handful of states have tapped the National Guard to help with this COVID health crisis. They may be tasked with setting up temporary hospitals or maintaining boundaries, whatever mission the states and counties deem necessary. 
FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, has taken the lead with the massive response to this health care crisis. Here in the islands, that means the Department of Defense and HAIMA, the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, is stepping up. We talk with Brigadier General Moses Kao'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'o'
completed in other areas. Again, it's a little bit new with some of the potential non-traditional support that might be needed, but our, because of our experience with for years with responding to hurricanes like Hurricane Isel on the Big Island, the lava like we explained in 2014 as well as in uh, 2018, and also with, with the floods on Wainia, Kauai. Our soldiers and our airmen, they, they actually come from the community. So when uh, we're within the community, there's familiar faces to some, some of the members of the community. You know, that's my neighbor. He's in the National Guard. He's helping. So it kind of helped alleviate some tension because they know, a lot of people know who we are. They know why we're out there uh, to support and, and ensure everybody's safe and to support the law enforcement. We, we do a lot of law enforcement support based off of the you know, the types of security that need to, needs to occur, uh, as well as because the police need to continue on their, their regular normal duties. But we also work side by side with them. We don't do things by ourselves. Well, do you think you folks might be tapped to make arrests if it gets down to mandatory quarantine? I mean, I don't um, know. No, we, we won't. We won't be specifically doing that. Like I said, whenever we work on a law enforcement capacity, we work with the law enforcement community. So what will happen is, is if some, some arrests might have to occur, we'll be there to support the law enforcement. They'll be the ones doing the necessary arrests, not us. But we'll be there as, as backup or extra security or, or to assist as they need. We won't be doing that independently away from the law enforcement um, presence. Give us a snapshot. What is our manpower at? As far as the National Guard, we yes. have approximately... 5,500 assigned, give or take, because people are retiring and people are entering the Guard, and that's with the Air and Army National Guards combined. We do have some first responders. They're in their normal everyday jobs, so we won't, won't tap, tap into the first responders. We won't ask them to come in, and we'll let them continue their first responder jobs. And even some of the medical personnel, if they're busy helping in this COVID-19 response in their civilian capacity, we won't ask them to come in. Okay, so you won't tap out everybody all at once? Yes. Yeah. Um, I imagine if it does, if this does ratchet up, that you may need to relieve folks as well. Yes. So normally what happens is we coach uh, these disasters in a phased response. So we get several tiers of of how we configure the, the force to assist depending on the type of missions we have. And we start off at the base model. We don't we don't come in at 100% of our force. We'll look at the threat and the, also the, the support needed by the counties. We'll assess that, and then we'll come up with what we call a um, task organization of the force, and we determine whether we're going to do a functional type of approach, which is uh, command centralized here at Daminid at the headquarters, and then assigning functional type of activities under one, uh, several different commanders to execute them. So for example, a medical commander to do medical, a medical type of response or a security, a commander who's going to do a security response and he'll, he'll do a security response across the, the island or state. But most of the time what we'll do because of the way the islands are is we'll break up our organization into a combination of functional items as well as a geographical task. So we'll assign a task force commander for an island, execute National Guard response as needed, and then what we'll do at the headquarters is provide the necessary um, forces needed to execute the type of support that uh, is needed on the island. And that, that'll come under one commander. That was a conversation we had with Brigadier General Moses Koevi from the State Department of Defense, giving us a snapshot of where things are with the National Guard forces as we move into a new phase of dealing with COVID-19. And as we continue to deal with COVID here in Hawaii, we are sharing the latest global developments from the BBC. This is the Coronavirus Global Update on Monday, the 23rd of March. I'm Jackie Leonard with the latest on the pandemic. Italy has announced strict limits on public movement. The head of the World Health Organization calls for a targeted attack on the pandemic and U.S. lawmakers clash over an economic rescue package. More than a billion people around the world have been ordered to stay home as health officials try to stem the spread of coronavirus. But enforcing social distancing continues to be a challenge. Our global affairs correspondent Naomi Grimley has been looking at some of the strict new isolation guidelines announced in Europe, starting with Germany. Angela Merkel admitted that no one ever wanted to see these kind of rules. Uh, spending time in a public place is only permitted on your own or with another person. Even walking your dog in Lombardy, one of the worst affected regions in Italy, has been set to a limit of about 300 metres. Also, fines being levied for runners who go out too far from their home. Really now in Italy, you are not supposed to move outside your municipality. So perhaps the hardest measures of all yet that we've seen, certainly in the Western world. 
Now, social distancing measures are only effective if people follow them. Professor Giacomo Graselli is a government health official in Lombardy. He warned Italians that ignoring basic precautions could cause the number of dead to rocket. If we let this go, we can expect more deaths than during the Second World War in Italy, for example. Here in Lombardy, we can expect something like 10,000, 20,000 deaths. The only way to cope with this is to change our behavior and and to do the simple things that can really stop the spread of this disease. Otherwise, no matter how modern is your healthcare system, sooner or later, it will be overwhelmed. You will always, every day, have a higher number of patients going into the system compared to the number of patients going out of the system. From the hiking trails of California to Bondi Beach in Sydney, people are ignoring social distancing advice and heading outside for a walk or even to meet up with friends. We asked Dr Natalie McDermott how to enjoy outdoor activities safely. There is an argument that being outside could be safer than being cooped up inside for prolonged periods of time, but only if you're able to maintain that social distancing. So the idea is that you don't have contact with people when you go out. So you don't arrange a play date for your children in the park with another family. You don't have a picnic with another family in the park to try and reduce the number of people who are becoming infected. There's no question that staying a safe distance away from people outside your household is vital to slowing the virus down. But the head of the World Health Organization, Dr Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, says it won't be enough to beat the pandemic. We need to attack the virus with aggressive and targeted tactics, testing every suspected case, isolating and caring for every confirmed case, and tracing and quarantining every close contact. The UK, Australia, Germany and others have earmarked billions of dollars to help businesses and private citizens who are losing income during the coronavirus pandemic. The US Central Bank has cut interest rates and announced new programmes to give out loans. And President Trump's administration has proposed a separate economic rescue package worth nearly $2 trillion. But at the time of recording this podcast, the Democrats have refused to pass the Republican bill as it is. Here's our correspondent in New York, Michelle Fleury, explaining why this money is stuck in political limbo. If you listen to Democrats, they will tell you that it is too heavily tilted in the favour of corporate America bailing out industries and not doing enough to help ordinary Americans. The Republicans, for their part, say this is the Democrats playing politics. I think what this will do is confirm to many Americans the scepticism they feel at the moment that somehow Washington is broken. Meanwhile, the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, has been desperately calling for more medical equipment and staff to help treat the thousands of confirmed coronavirus cases there. Here's our correspondent, Barbara Pletasha. Mayor de Blasio said even just a few days ago he thought New York could get safely into April. But the pandemic is spreading so fast he now believes that by the end of the week, the city's hospitals will start losing lives they could have saved if they don't get what they need. He and officials from other states have urged President Trump to use wartime powers that could nationalize the production and distribution of supplies like face masks and ventilators. But for now, the administration is relying on private companies to volunteer to do the job, and some have done so. And that's it for now, but we'll be back tomorrow with another coronavirus global update. This is The Conversation on statewide, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your backyard quiz time. In today's... In today's Backyard Quiz, we look at a royal and historic Kona home that still stands today. Hulihe Palace on Ali'i Drive was originally built of lava rock in 1838. It was built on Kalakei, a former residence of King Kamehameha. 
It had been a royal residence for years, with Princess Ruth living there for a time. Prince Kalakaua also redecorated it and used it as a summer palace, renaming it Hukilani Hale, or Seventh Ruler House, after himself. Ownership of the palace would move from one royal to another, including Queen Kapiolani and Prince Kuhio. But by 1924, it had been uh, had fallen into disrepair, and the territorial legislature purchased it. It was then leased to Daughters of Hawaii, who today run it as a museum. Today, Hulihei is a museum showcasing Victorian artifacts from the era of King Kalakaua and Queen Kapiolani, featuring beautiful koa wood furniture, portraits, kapa, featherwork, Hawaiian quilts, and artifacts from Hawaii's royal past. No one lives there today, but our question for you is, who built the residence? Honolulu's civil beat has a story about how officials are planning to control the overcrowding of our jailhouses, in particular what the Kauai prosecutor is doing. Chad Blair is on the line with us this morning. Hi there. Aloha, Catherine. Happy Monday, as best as it can be. Yes, I know. Going into this new phase here. <laughs> so tell us about this story you've got online. Well, this is a very interesting story from uh, Yu Jung. She covers the courts and the prisons and the criminal justice in general. And this is coming from Justin Kohler. He's the, the county prosecutor on Kauai. And he signed on to an, a national initiative. And the, the plan is to release low-level offenders, not all, but some that are not considered a threat to the community. It comes from an organization called the uh, Prison Policy Initiative. And the reason is, is well, kind of obvious that because of the coronavirus, keep in mind that our jails, particularly uh, here on Oahu and on Maui, OCCC and MCCC, are very, very crowded places. So how are you going to have social distancing if there are two to three of you to a cell in some cases? So this is something that he has signed on to as a, a way to really, it's a public health concern. Well, it, it's interesting because I think about a month ago I reached out to the Department of Public Safety asking you know, what our plan was. And they declined to say. And I think they were still trying to figure it out. Yeah, there, there are some updates to that. As of Friday, uh, Nolan Espinda told us that uh, they are ending personal visitations at the jails and the prisons, except uh, for lawyers. You're still allowed to have legal access. They are looking at enhanced uh, screening processes. Uh, they are looking just to give the inmates uh, more rep time, uh, more time for phone calls more access to uh, store items and so forth. They are following their guidelines in line with Department of Health, which makes sense. Uh, similar protocol is in place at the, the Hawaii Youth Correctional Facility here on Oahu. Right. I, I think as people you know, look at the headlines across the globe and see what other countries are doing, you know, you, you did have the release, I think, in, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember where that was, South America, where they did let some of those non-offenders, um, non-violent offenders go, the low-level ones. And then you had the one uh, jail where they had a riot because they had cut the hours, <laughs> right? We don't need another yeah. riot here. Well, there, there are actually some developments just in the last few days uh, here in our own country. Rikers in New York City last week had reported one of its patients uh, had coronavirus, COVID-19. Now, as of Sunday, you can check the latest 38 cases there. Uh, there are also plenty of reports about correctional workers, right, the people that are, are staffing the prisons and jails getting the virus. Well, one other report closer to home, the L.A. Sheriff's Office actually released 600 low-level offenders. I should just point out, for, we tend to forget how many people we do have in jail and prison. It's more than 5,000 people. This is Hawaii only, and that's in our prisons and jails 
not only here throughout the state, but we also have got uh, some in Arizona. Right, and I think as we saw with the nursing homes, right, the most vulnerable, if you're in a, a you know a small space and someone brings something in, you know, you've got a situation in the prisons where maybe you know uh, if men are more susceptible this mm. to this, right? Mm. Yeah, the, I can tell you the ACLU of Hawaii uh, wrote to uh, the Public Safety Department trying to get more information about what's going on. I mean, it's kind of ironic. You think of prisons and jails as places to isolate people, but where do you isolate people in an already isolated place? That's that's one concern. Another is what about hygiene products? Do they have access? The soap, you know, we talk so much about washing our hands. Uh, how much uh, are the inmates available to access these very basic supplies? Yeah, I, I think I even saw something, with, gosh, with this morning that Harvey Weinstein, I think, has uh, tested positive. Yeah, sorry to, sorry to laugh there, but yeah, he is in prison and he has come down uh, with coronavirus-19. Um, I, I will tell you that Yu Hyun did actually reach out uh, to other counties, uh, Dwight Nanamoto, he's the acting prostitute here at the city and county, and he says they are looking at not charging some nonviolent offenders, but he also made clear they're still actively you know, prosecuting, building cases in more serious matters. Uh, Mitch Roth over there on the Big Island, uh, they are reviewing the jail rosters uh, to try and see if they can uh, do something about that, but he stressed very importantly, that you must keep the most serious offenders in jail. The only prosecutor we didn't hear from, uh, Don Guzman, over there on Maui. Yeah, my fear is also for the uh, the uh, ACOs, you know. The, those folks are, are so it's important. correction officers, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and that's, I mean, these are the, this is a very serious concern. I will tell you one other thing that Justin Kohler over there on Kauai, is looking at maybe two other things. Uh, one is, um, can you make some changes to your charging policies? In other words, can you uh, keep people from going into jail in the first place uh, when they're going through the criminal justice system? Is that a possibility? The way he phrased it to you, Hyun, is what can we, meaning in this case the Kauai County prosecutors, do in a time of pandemic? As of Friday, a couple days ago, Kohler had filed at least nine motions uh, for suspended release. We should stress that uh, the people that would be released still have to report to a probation officer. Yeah, it's so interesting. I also, you know, since we're talking judiciary, I jumped on the um, uh, federal court uh, website just to find out what are they what are they doing over there. And yeah, you know, uncharted territory, suspending some things, uh, letting other things go. It's it's just a fascinating time for our country. Yeah, it sure is. Well, glad to share this report. It's up on our website, uh, Yu and Jung, our reporter. Now, I, I understand that uh, you'll be uh, probably uh, manning uh, uh, the reality check desk for a while <laughs> as everybody if, separates. <laughs> if you'll put up with me, I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, as you know, the mayor declared uh, as of 4.30 today, right, that new order is going to go in effect about work at home, stay at home. I can tell you here at Civil B, we have been... Uh, all working. We are all on call. We worked all through the weekend, you know, trading shifts as best as we can. But what I, one of the things I'm going to do is at least take over uh, the HPR conversation duties yes. uh, simply so that they can keep on continuing to do their great reporting. Uh, so I, I'm afraid they'll be stuck with me and my voice, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. But whatever we can do to get out the word about what's going on locally particularly the stories maybe that are not being covered in the mainstream press. Okay, well, we enjoy talking with you, so uh, we're good to go, and we'll blow everybody else kisses. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks, Catherine. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, uh, political and opinion editor Chad Blair with today's Reality Check. Uh, visit civilbeat.org for more. Aloha, I'm Dina Yoshimi from the Hawaii Roadmap Initiative. You're listening to The Conversation on member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. I listen to Hawaii Public Radio every morning when I'm driving to work. It, it energizes me for the day, and it gives me that 
information that I need to be effective informs my day. And uh, I really relish that time in the car, as crazy as that may sound, to actually uh, to be educated on what's going on in the world. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. This is The Conversation on listener-supported Hawaii Public Radio. On your Monday Stargazer, talking closures in the world of astronomy and science. We now check in with astronomer Christopher Phillips, talking with HPR's Dave Lawrence. Stargazer time, our weekly look into the massive universe around our tiny and very troubled planet. As usual, we are fortunate to have the expertise of astronomer Christopher Phillips at our disposal, and we are welcoming him back right now. Hey, Chris, welcome back. Good to have you on on board with us. Hey, Dave. Good to be here. So this week's stargazers, the trio of Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn will continue to be visible in the sky before dawn, with Venus still visible in the evening sky after sunset. The moon this week will be passing through its new moon phase, and as such, our skies will remain nice and dark through week's end. And I can imagine the way things are happening all over the world, that there are a number of closures that are happening in the world of astronomy that you're aware of. Indeed. It's not only restaurants, bars, and hotels that are closing down due to the current global situation. Observatories across the world are in the process of suspending scientific operations and sending their staff home as they respond to current events. This, of course, has worrying implications for those who are dependent on astronomy for their livelihoods, as well as the myriad of science projects that are currently underway. Are any of the ones in Hawaii affected? Indeed. Last week, Gemini North Observatory began shutdown procedures, and construction was halted at the Daniel K. Inouye Solar Telescope on Maui. Gemini will assess the developing situation this week and decide what actions need to be taken next. But right now, all of their folks will be working remotely. And another major astronomy center is Chile. Pretty much the same deal. The construction of the Vera C. Rubin telescope, formerly known as the LSST, has been suspended. And the astronomy complex has basically been closed off to the public and all the tours have been suspended. And an interesting thing might be also the way that space-based observatories and telescopes would be affected because they rely on a certain number of ground people to be part of the game, yeah? They really do. And in theory, operations shouldn't really change much because obviously they're in space and they're used to operating remotely anyway from the ground. So telescope staff will be at home, but essentially doing the same job. But as we've seen in certain cases, like state legislatures and with other companies, sometimes when one person on the staff becomes infected, then the place might have to shut down, maybe even temporarily, just for a cleanup sort of deal. Yeah, that's true. The building will be shut down, but staff will still be able to remote into the computers that are contained within that building. And theoretically, they should still be able to do their jobs. Well, we will continue to get updates on this uh, unique way that the coronavirus crisis is also affecting astronomy around the world and grateful to have the reports from you Christopher Phillips thank you so much you are welcome Dave and I'm Dave Lawrence we look forward to catching you next week and you can find us online at hawaiipublicradio.org support for Stargazer comes from Haleakala Ranch with a legacy of livestock conservation and land stewardship since 1888 working to restore maintain and preserve the open vistas and natural beauty of Maui more at haleakalaranch.com For today's Backyard Quiz, we visited a royal residence in Kona. It was once the summer palace for King Kalakaua, but by 1924, it had fallen into disrepair and could no longer be seen from Ali'i Drive. The Daughters of Hawaii, a group committed to the preservation of Hawaiian culture, wanted to save the home. The territorial legislature bought it and leased it to the group which restored it and now operates it as a museum. The Daughters of Hawaii also faced challenges from the Inter-Island Steam Navigation Company, which wanted to develop the land into a hotel. In 1973, Hulihe was placed on the National Register of Historic Places. But it all started when it was built by the first royal governor of Hawaii Island, John Adams Kuakini, who was also the first person to live there and the answer to our quiz. We had no winners today. We stumped you on that one. That is today's quiz. If you have an idea for one, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org.
Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Locations, whose Realtors and staff proudly support HPR's commitment to sharing stories of Hawai'i's people and places. Updated property listings with photos and select virtual tours at locationshawaii.com. Earlier this month, Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell announced that the city's people's open markets would close until further notice. However, when the mayor announced that residents work from home if they are non-essential workers, certified farmer's markets were included in the list of essential businesses, along with grocery stores and restaurants. Other municipalities, like San Francisco, have made that declaration. The markets themselves have made modifications. The Hawaii Farm Bureau has several farmer's markets, and it closed its Kapilani Community College Saturday Market and the Kailua Market. Uh, However, they have made modifications to keep shoppers and farmers safe. Brian Miyamoto is the Farm Bureau's Executive Director. He spoke with uh, the Conversations, Jason Ubai. The Hawaii Farm Bureau, we're actively monitoring the COVID-19 situation like everyone else. But we're looking at ways that we can assist our farmers and ranchers, you know, during this very challenging time. We have to close some of our farmers' markets, which obviously impact many of the farmers, especially small farmers. But other markets are closed, such as, you know, those that are in the tourism industry, restaurants that scale back, hotels, you know, so there's a lot of other retail markets that have closed down for our farmers, but specifically, you know, as we're talking about farmers' markets, and, you know, keep in mind, a lot of our small farmers do depend on this as their primary source of income. You know, we really believe that the farmers' markets are a critical part of the community. They're essentially outdoor grocery stores, and like a grocery store, you know, they're a vital source of fresh fruits, vegetables, and other foods. So we've been working really hard to try to keep the farmers' markets open. They're outdoor. They're not as crowded as some of the grocery stores. They're a little bit more spread out. So um, we're really working to, you know, to urge the state to do what other states have done and exempt them from some of the closures because other states such as California and New York, you know, where they're really shut down, they actually consider farmers' markets essential businesses. So we're working to, to try to keep these retail markets open. Um, we've taken a number of practice steps to mitigate possible exposure at our farmers' markets like everyone else is going to change uh, how the farmer's market operates because the health and safety of everyone involved in the farmer's market community is first on our foremost priority. I've been to the farmer's market before. I know some of the food vendors do have to change some of their protocols. And as far as folks going in and out of line, uh, do you have anything trying to keep people safe and at a distance so there's not just like the big crowd uh, uh, and rush? Absolutely. You know, we're encouraging social distancing like everyone else is. You know, we install hand sanitizers at our info booths and around the market. Uh, put up signage that um, uh, reminds customers and vendors on fall to follow CDC guidelines to prevent the spread of COVID-19. We intensified our cleaning regimen um, by thoroughly cleaning and disinfecting all high-touch areas of the market. Uh, requiring farmers, vendors, and other market partners to adhere the best practices, again, as outlined by the CDC. Some of our markets have music. We've temporarily discontinued live music or anything else other than the, the selling of products to, dis, uh, to encourage social distancing, discontinued product sampling. We're instituting a grab-and-go policy, really for not just for food, but for everything. You know, come in, come in, support your local farmers and ranchers, get what you need, and then obviously go, but to try to minimize these large gatherings and, again, encourage the social distancing. We'll also remind our customers, you know, if you are uh, stay at home, you know, if you're high risk, avoid the public gatherings. Again, follow CDC guidelines. As far as lines, um, separate lines, try not to, you know, have people standing in line after the order or standing in large groups, you know, creating separate waiting areas. If it is for, for food products, also providing gloves for our vendors. Um, we're looking to follow a, a vendor only, you know, looking at uh, handling the produce for the customers. So, you know, again, it, it's, uh, it's evolving. It's something new. We're taking a lot of direction from, from the CDC, from other states and what they're doing and the type of measures that 
I don't think we're considering shutting down supermarkets, so we shouldn't consider shutting down our farmers' markets. Our farmers have products that they have harvested that they need to sell. We don't want it to go bad. We want it to be in the community. Um, we want to make sure our farmers have income so they can continue to farm. We don't want to disrupt the food supply chain. Food is one of our critical needs anytime, especially now here during emergency. So we want to make sure that we keep the supply chain of food constantly moving, and our farmers are going to need income in order for that to happen. If they're, if they're losing money, they're not going to be able to afford to, to replant the harvest for the transportation, for the labor costs. So we're doing what we can to keep our farmers and ranchers in production and finding markets for them. There's certainly less demand from hotels and restaurants right now. So when this passes through, is it going to be – how difficult is it for farmers to just kind of ramp it back up, ramp up their production again? Obviously, it'll be difficult for anybody to start. You know, um, the economy is going to be struggling. It's already struggling. Um, access to capital – it's going to be difficult, you know, hopefully when we recover, the markets are still there. But that's why it's, it's critically important that the production, not where it is, we actually grow it. I mean, if you look across the mainland, I mean, they're looking to products and there is a demand there. So we really want to keep the farmers and ranchers in production. We want to provide the food for our residents here in Hawaii, and we're doing all we can, you know, from farmers' markets to a lot of CSAs are are popping up. We've got partners like Foodland looking to buy more local produce. Hawaii Food Bank, we've been in contact with. Uh, they're looking to buy produce, supplements that they can, and the prepared foods that they have for the needy. Aloha Harvest, Monica Pacific. Farming's doing an amazing job connecting farmers with markets. Um, the legislature, the Department of Agriculture is taking a lead. So everyone's trying to, you know, there's, there's, there's such a huge issue, COVID 19. But from the agriculture sector, we're trying to do what we can to keep food, a basic need for our residents, for the public, available. And in order to do that, we need the farmers to have markets available. Again, California, New York, agriculture is considered an essential business operation, exempt from a lot of these uh, lockdowns. Even Homeland Security considers agriculture um, critical. So, you know, we need to make sure that the food supply is still flowing, that ag sector is, is producing, and we can do that by keeping markets, especially farmers' markets as one, because some have those, as we discussed earlier. You know, keeping the markets open, but also making sure that they are safe and there are protocols in place to make sure we're protecting the people of Hawaii. Any other priorities uh, you got, I mean, try, uh, aside from making sure that supply chain and the farmers markets uh, stay open for your for your members? Again, keeping the supply chain open is, is a, a big priority, but Farm Bureau is also working with our other partners, understanding the, um, you know, the need for financial resources. Farmers and ranchers and other members, you know, are going to be impacted and are being impacted by COVID. So we are working with the Hawaii Department of Agriculture. They've got a loan program, an emergency loan program, we also working with the Department of Business and Economic Development. They also have these loan programs. They're working with uh, Bohala Center, Postex Bohala Center, and Feed the Hunger Foundation with microloan programs, working with USDA Farm Service Agency. We have all this information on our website. Again, we're just trying to be proactive and trying to provide resources to our farmers and ranchers and members across the state in this, this very, very difficult time. Also uh, reached out and been contacted by our congressional delegation, specifically Congressman Ed Case, and we're hoping that we can get some federal funding for, for Hawaii, again, to aid local farmers and ranchers. Something we brought up earlier, you know, the food bank, the local harvest, Anakila, the need, needies are still going to need food, and we want to be able to support those programs also. Um, again, there are markets for our farmers. Our farmers have been donating. You know, as I said before, we would like some income. So if there can be federal funds or state funds or county funds or philanthropic funds to help buy some of the produce, it's going to help both the farmers and those that are in need of food. So, you know, it, it's a, a comprehensive approach. We're working with many partners and many collaborators. Uh, this is just one sector of our economy here. 
doing our best and we're looking for our leaders um, to, to really look at what they can do to help away. So, again, we are, you know, uh, we've got even private businesses like Polo Ranch who's, who's looking to do, um, you know, a farmer's market, again, to provide fresh produce in their parking lots, again, adhering to CDC guidelines and protocols. So you have many, many entities and organizations out there. Uh, again, uh, you know, we continue to monitor, and we ask everyone to, to monitor local, state, and federal information and guidelines and follow the recommended guidelines. We really need to reduce the risk of exposure of, of COVID-19, and I think we're, we're all in it together and, 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 you know, do what we need to do to get through this, support each other, care for each other, um, but also, you know, continue to please buy local it matters. Support our farmers and ranchers that are still in this difficult time out there producing food, produce, fresh local food products for our residents here in Hawaii. That was Brian Miyamoto, Hawaii Farm Bureau's Executive Director, talking about the effect of the coronavirus on local farmers. To see what markets are open or closed, visit our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. This week's On the Media, for years, U.S. preppers have invested time and money getting ready to tackle imaginary doomsday scenarios. So... You can't make up a story anymore. It doesn't work. We've got coronavirus, and it's not hypothetical. It's actually happening. Don't miss this week's On the Media from WNYC. This evening at 7, following The Body Show. It's time to go. Tomorrow we check in with the Small Business Administration. Leave your feedback on our talkback line, 808-792-8217. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR or tweet us at HI Conversation. And you know email works too, talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Find all our archive shows online. Look under HPR News and Talk for The Conversation on hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation. Thank you.